Coming up in part two with Radu Poltenenya. I was just crossing between 5,900 and 6,000 meters of altitude and I got caught in this in this massive, massive snowstorm with lightning and thunder and you name it around me and, and there's nowhere to hide, there's no rocks, no no shelter, no nothing, you know, you're just so exposed, you're, you're facing death. It's the adrenaline of the unknown that keeps you going and keeps you curious and, and you know, keeps you motivated about taking these adventures. Your will is rolling and you don't know what's waiting for you around the corner. Just before we get into this episode of the podcast, I would just like to say a big thank you to everyone who's been listening and sharing the podcast with everyone who may be interested. Really appreciate it. But all I ask is that you like, subscribe to the podcast, share it with anyone who may be interested and just leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can, um, as it just helps with the exposure. But yeah, I really appreciate everyone who listens and I hope you enjoy this episode with Radu Poltenenyo. It's as good as the first, I can tell you that much. So yeah, enjoy it. You know, I had moments in I had a moment in uh, in Bolivia where I thought I might die. Uh, I was um, as I was, as I was saying earlier, I decided to take all these side trips and do some you know climb some some huge mountains in South America, like Chimborazo in Ecuador, and now I was in Bolivia trying to climb a six thousand three hundred meters high volcano, yeah. Parinacota. Uh, who, which sits uh, right on the border between Chile and Bolivia. So I was taking time off from from my cycling and uh, trying to 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 climb that volcano. And I actually got caught at six thousand meters of altitude in a thunderstorm, in a snow thunderstorm. Up till then, I must admit that I I wasn't associating lightning with the snow. No. I didn't. I didn't think that that, not that existed, it. but it does on the Altiplano in Bolivia and Peru. That is quite a quite a normal phenomenon occurring at very high altitudes. Mm. And um, I had my ice axe on my hand and nowhere to hide on that slope going up to six thousand three hundred meters of altitude. I was just crossing between five thousand nine hundred and six thousand meters of altitude. And got caught. I got caught in this um, in this massive um, massive snowstorm with lightning and thunder and you name it around me. And you know, I see that uh, you see. I see the lightning striking to my right, to my left, and I'm like, "Damn, what am I gonna do?" And I have this ice axe on my hand that might attract it, you know. Mm. And there's absolutely nowhere to hide. Nowhere, there's not a shrub, there's nothing growing up there. And there's nowhere to hide, there's no rocks, no no shelter, no nothing, you know? You're just so exposed, you're you're facing death. Yeah. Like that's it. You're you're face to face with a certain death. Fuck. And I decided at that point to take my phone and, and, and call the emergency services thinking that that's you know, that's gonna be my last my last call. Hmm. And at least if I die there I should make them aware where to find me. <laughs> so I, I pick up the phone and I call nine nine one one, which is the emergency uh, emergency number through uh, a great deal of countries in in, in North and South America. Um, and um, I the phone well the the call gets uh, picked up by the emergencies uh, by by a lady at the emergency services, and she's like, "Where you are?" 
she doesn't really know where I am. She doesn't really understand what I'm doing. And I, I, I keep on explaining her that I'm, I'm at 6,000 meters of altitude. And, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm a keen adventurer and explorer. And I do all these things. And she's like, yeah, but why would you climb at 60? I mean, she wasn't really getting what I was doing. Yeah. And she really didn't know where I was. I mean, their emergency services in Bolivia are just probably very rudimentary, very basic. Mm. And I remember... She actually told me something very funny. It's like, so when asking her, like, what should I do? Her answer was like, well, you just go down from where you came from. <laughs> if only it were that easy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like so funny. I mean, like, yeah. And then eventually, you know, I'm, I'm still here. So the, the storm is, is fading away and, you know, everything gets back to normal and I stress start going down and I eventually get to a point where I was safe, you know, but it, I think what I took away from that experience was the funny answer of the lady at yeah. the emergency services, you know, saying that, well, what can you do? Just, just climb down, mm. <laughs> climb down the mountain. <laughs> That's the safest uh, thing that you can do. Yeah, There's nothing we can do on our end about you. <laughs> if only it was that simple. It's funny, isn't it, when people are in, like, you know, the comfort of work or comfort of home, it's just like, well, just yeah. come back down the way you came. And a, so. lot of, a lot of the cultures of the world don't understand what we're doing, adventures. Yeah. They don't really see any purpose in that or any, you know, for a lot of indigenous cultures, climbing mountains is not their thing, mm. you know. It's a very European thing to climb mountains. It's a very Western thing yeah. to be... You know, to have this desire to, you know, climb mountains and, you know, travel places. And, you know, we're all sort of like uh, living in a post-colonialist world where, you know, we had all these crazy adventurers and explorers that went to, you know, the four corners of our planet and, uh, you know, uh, did all these amazing and interesting uh, explorations and uh, and so on and so forth but a lot of the cultures of the world including Bolivia is they aren't aware or they aren't really uh, valuing this as a thing you know and yeah yeah they just think oh it's just a crazy white guy thing you know <laughs> yeah, gringo gringo as they <laughs> as they call the yeah. uh, the foreigners in most of the Latin American countries mm. it's a very it's a very prevalent uh word for calling any any foreigner gringo just a gringo thing the it's interesting isn't it because we i don't know what it is but we've always seemingly throughout human history had this desire to see what is next what like you know to reach the highest peak to travel the furthest sea to you know visit new countries and take over them and all these different things and it's it's an interesting one to reflect on that even now to this day that all these things have been done, we can look and see online that this is what it looks like from the top of Everest. This is what it looks like from the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. But we still need, we have that desire to go and see it for ourselves. Yeah. And f- so for you, like, you know, traveling the Americas, you know, walking, canoeing, cycling across New Zealand and t- Triking across Australia, you could probably see it online, but there's nothing compared to seeing it for yourself, is there? Of course, it's not about the 
actual image it's about experience and mm. each and every journey it's a different one yeah so you and me could follow the same road and could be doing or could be thinking that we're doing the same adventure and we would have two totally different experiences um, so journeys are very personal i totally believe that and i totally believe the world can be seen in and can be explored in so many different ways and it's a personal feeling it's a personal it's a personal experience in the end it's not about the photo you snap and you know the the video you you create about that place and the fact that millions of people know about it or have seen it online you know it's just it's about experience that's mm -hmm. all there is you know so you go and take these crazy adventures because Again, every day it's a different one and every day there is a new experience and it's the adrenaline of the unknown that keeps you going and keeps you curious and, and you know, keeps you motivated about taking this adventure. It's not, it's not you know, I could... It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not about seeing that place that I've already seen online. It's about the experience of getting to that place, mm. you know, or... You know, just living living an everyday adventure, living an everyday new, living an, a new experience every day of your life, you know? Yeah. And again, it's the adrenaline of the unknown that keeps you motivated or keeps me motivated at least. Mm -hmm. And I really like that term, the adrenaline of the unknown, because to me, that says it all. And that's all, that's what my journeys are about. They're about the adrenaline of the unknown. It's not about going and seeing these uh, famous places that, you know, I can look up online. And even if I do so, my experience about seeing it and what I perceive there and what I see there and the, the small aspects of it, you know, are totally different from yours. You yeah. could be, you know, interested in, 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 in one thing and I could be interested in a totally different one. Um, and, the, and, and the other aspect to that is... Um, that yeah, we as Western society people, we are, have this lust about like seeing a lot, you know, having all this diversity, almost like this frenzy of like gathering diversity in our journey. So just like flying from one place to another, you know, and, and seeing and gathering all these different images and, and creating all this, this huge diversity, which is good. Um, I like that. But I also sometimes look at the indigenous people and the indigenous cultures around the world who don't move as much as we do. They've been there for thousands of years and they might see actually things a lot more in depth than we do. And that's another aspect of my travels. I realize that the more time I spend in a place, the more in depth I can go about it. And the better I understand it, and that uh, one such place is Australia. I've been here almost two years now, and I took this uh, eleven thousand kilometer uh, trip on my on my recumbent track alongside Irina, my partner. And um, um, I must say that you know it, I've seen a lot more than, and I went in a lot more depth in Australia with this land and its customs and its people and. Uh, and the amazing place I've been through than I did in the Americas. Mm. Just because I covered less miles in 
a longer period of time, you know, than I did in the Americas. As I was saying, I started out as, you know, wanting to just push for big miles and just covering terrain and, you know, and just getting there to my goal. But it eventually and uh, it eventually evolved into a lifestyle. And, you know, you, you, you develop yourself as an explorer. You, there's, you can't, I don't believe that you can be born as an explorer. You can, you can have curiosity, but you eventually become an explorer by just, you know, by just developing all these sides and, and realizing that the more time you spend in there, the better it is, the more in depth you can go about it. Um, and, 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 you know, you, I also evolved a lot, uh, thinking, well, at the beginning, I thought it was adventurous enough to just, you know, ride my trike on a sealed road through Alaska or through Canada. I thought that was, well, it's wild, you know, but now I got to the point where I want to do these adventures where I don't have any, um, you know, any human interference and the road is a human thing Hmm. you know you can't think for yourself you don't have to think of how you get from point a to point b you don't have to navigate the road gets you there the road is there for you it's been laid out yeah by somebody else so so there's all these aspects you know spending more time in a place uh, the the more time you spend the better it is um trying to avoid as many human um infrastructure as possible and getting to see the real beauty of the last remaining wilderness in the world you know yeah the based on what you've said there one question popped to mind and i'm not quite sure why but what is the meaning of home to you having spent so many years traveling alone and also with a partner so what what is what is the meaning of home to you Ah, it's a very good question. I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> I haven't made I haven't made out my mind about it. Um, of course, I feel at home in Romania. I could feel at home anywhere, as I would say. Hmm. But um, at we, the same time, you have to realize that I probably feel the most at home when I'm in my tent, right in the middle of a big adventure, such as the one upcoming, you know, in Tasmania. And, uh, you know, just waking up in the tent every day, it's probably the most home, homish I can feel. Mm. Um, and it's very interesting because we we start out as being, you know, fearing of slipping in the tent, you know, and all of that. And you eventually get to the point where you feel more comfortable being in the tent, you know, having this, as you're saying, the routine, the yeah. routine of the adventure, the explorer's routine, you know, mm. where you wake up, you make coffee and then you, you know, so, so home for me at the moment even though it's hard to define it i would say it's out there in the wilderness where i pitch my tent every day um in very basic conditions yeah with all this freedom to roam around in untouched wildernesses you know so that's where i feel most at home at the moment during covid you were in new zealand yeah and for someone who spends so long traveling and so little time in one place, how was it for you to be stuck with no end in sight? I redefined what exploring meant for me. In the Americas, as I was saying, I was more into riding big miles. And I would skip a lot of the details. I wasn't aware of the flora so much. I wasn't aware of the fauna. I wasn't aware of a lot of, 
you know, I was aware of a lot of aspects. I was learning the, the, the you know, the, the local languages and out, you know, it was, it was, it was quite a cool experience, but I wasn't, I wasn't as detailed about my adventures as I got to be spending all this time in a single country in New Zealand, you know? Mm. So New Zealand and the fact that I spent a whole year, uh, you know, just walking 1,700 kilometers uh, through the North Island on the Tierra Trail and then, um, you know, and then cycling uh, the West Coast and the South Island and, and then eventually, uh, you know, doing another big hike in Stewart Island. It just, you know, made me aware of details such as the local flora and the local fauna, you know, and the... Um, you know, all of the Maori culture and the, you know, it just because I was spending more time, I could feel like the spirituality of all these wildernesses. And I eventually got to realize that every, each and every single, you know, wild place that I go to feels like a spiritual one, feels like a big cathedral, you know, in the end. And it's it's very interesting, and that made me reconnect with what I was feeling at the time in the Americas. You know what I felt when I went and explored the Angel Falls in Venezuela. What was it like there? You know, what did it feel like when I was up at the top of uh, Roraima Tepui in Venezuela? What was it like when I was, um, you know, in all those remote communities uh, across Amazonia? Mm. So it made me reconnect with other aspects that I might have just, you know, gone over much faster and much quicker and much more unaware than I did, you know. And that was a good thing because after finishing New Zealand and coming to Australia, Australia is not a country that looks impressive at a first sight, you know. No. You, 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 you can fly over Australia and you think it's all desert. It's all nothing, you know. But it's not, it's, it's not at all, <laughs> you know. But the key into understanding Australia and, and into appreciating the beauty of Australia, it's exactly that, looking into the details. And having spent that year in New Zealand working and cycling the, the, the main islands of, of New Zealand actually helped me see with different eyes Australia. So it was a good thing in the end. I didn't feel stuck, you know, uh, especially that at the time, you know, I... I decided we both decided me and Irina to uh, to spend the next uh, to spend the whole year there at a time when you know people were in lockdowns all over the world and we found ourselves all of a sudden in a country that was free of COVID for a very long time mm. so we could roam uh, the country quite freely with no tourists you know we had all these nature reserves and all these um, all these places to ourselves you know and it was such such a nice experience so i think we're quite lucky to be there at the right time and the right place you know and it was quite a good idea to actually take the decision to stay and see what happens because if you remember at the beginning of the pandemic in march of 2020 a lot of people panicked they didn't know what that was all about they thought it might be something that goes away in a couple of weeks and it didn't you know um, in a lot of ways, we're still in the middle of the pandemic. So three, that's more than three years later, you know, we were still in the same pandemic, even though, you know, countries relax their 
border yeah. uh, measures and you know we're not hopefully not in lockdowns any longer and um but at the time you know without realizing it we actually transformed a moment of crisis into an opportunity to uh, to start a new major um a new major uh, adventure mm. you don't realize that at the moment but you just again sometimes it's in, in it's important to just follow your gut instinct just you know follow your your instinct basically and that's that's another skill that you learn while exploring the world while while going through all these wild places and and having all these experiences just you know follow your follow your instinct yeah it it's all it's all in here you know it's all in here it's and that's what we felt like we're like okay we don't want to go back to europe at this point let's just spend a bit more time in new zealand see what happens and then we we initially rented a uh, a cottage in the north island in just north of um of auckland and then um we're running low on money so we went and started to volunteer for uh for a kiwi guy uh we helped him do some fencing okay. so we 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 vote well there's this thing called um can't remember it at the moment um woofing hmm. So it's a it's a platform where um, you can exchange a couple of hours work a day for a meal and accommodation. Oh, cool! So we we did that for I think a week. And then at the end of that week, um, that person that we're working for uh, was like, "Well, don't you want to just do some hikes around the top of the North Island, around Cape Reinga?" and we looked at a hike and that's when we came across the Tiararoa Trail that goes across all of New Zealand, 3,000 kilometers. And we were looking to do something like that, you know, given that we decided to stay in New Zealand for much longer. I'm always looking for challenges. I'm always looking to be out there in nature, you know. Yeah. So we immediately both embraced the idea of just, you know, uh, of doing it. Mm-hmm. And we started walking the North Island in the middle of the winter, the beginning at the end of May of uh, 2020. And again, sometimes I just do things. Well, people think I'm doing it in the rock season, but I don't ever regret doing it in the rock season because it's a completely different um, experience doing it in winter than doing it in the summer. So we ended up doing the North Island in the in the winter. It's quite a cool experience. We had actually some problem. One of the section of the trail, you have to take a uh, canoe. And a lot of the companies rent because I don't have a canoe. I wouldn't be carrying a canoe with me. And um, they were uh, actually reluctant to uh, rent us a canoe because it was so cold on the river that we're going to paddle that they weren't willing to to risk their reputation with us renting a canoe from them. But we eventually did find one that was willing to to let us do it in the in the winter, and and we did it, you know. And it was it was quite quite interesting. That's those four months that we spent. Um, walking and canoeing 1700 kilometers across the last remaining patches of wilderness in the north island of new zealand um through this uh trail called tierra roa is is when i i went i let's say i climbed to the next level of exploration because as i was saying i started looking more in depth at things and um and from there on i realized that i wanted to do crazier and crazier things like just you know navigating i would love to just choose um you know a 
a wild place like Tasmania that's coming up next, and we're probably going to talk in a bit about it, uh, where you don't necessarily have trails, but you can navigate through valleys, through rivers, you know, through all this. I mean, that's, to me, that's the sort of like the ultimate wild experience that you can have where you eliminate slowly not necessarily all human interfering i mean you can use a road or a trail here and there but just eliminating most of it and then just allowing you to navigate Mm. through wild terrain that's really cool and that's that's a thing that i started to be more aware and be more into after um after actually doing the north island of new zealand after crossing the north island of new zealand that trail yeah and yeah that was a good that was a really um different experience yeah so now you travel with your partner Irina and so you've spent three plus years alone traveling solo and you've now spent three plus years traveling with a partner so how was the adjustment initially because you you develop habits yeah through traveling alone and then all of a sudden someone's in your space 24 7 so how did you deal with that initially ah it's that's a that's a hard thing that's a hard one it is it it really was a hard one uh we're still adjusting to it (laughs) um yeah sometimes look it's beautiful to, to to have a partner and it's absolutely worth it to share all these moments and all this crazy adventure with somebody that knows you very well and that you're in tune with yeah it's absolutely beautiful i wouldn't be training it for it for for you know going back to my solo adventuring life you know but on the other hand it's hard to adjust and um sometimes i sometimes i do tell myself that oh in this situation it would have been so much easier if i were alone you know and that has to do a lot with the decision making right so for instance we were um about to to start our adventure in Australia. And I'd be riding a two-wheel pushback across the Americas, and then we rode together pushbacks, two-wheel pushbacks across the South Island of New Zealand. But Irina totally hated that bike. Mm. Probably also because, you know, riding the South Island of New Zealand is not necessarily for beginners. Like, doing bike touring the South Island is quite challenging because of all the big climbs. Yeah. And you know when you when you're on a bike touring setup you have all this gear and it's all heavy and sometimes you have to get off and push you know and it goes for days on and you know and she wasn't used to that. She doesn't come from an adventure background, you know. She Irina thought at the time when I met her that um you know if she walks around the park in close to her her, her home in Bucharest um if she goes there and does a few rounds of the park, that was quite an adventure, you know? <laughs> so she she was following all these big adventures and all these, um, you know, explorers, and she was following my my adventure across the Americas. So she, you know, she she wanted to see what it was all about. She was very curious. She wanted to travel. She never thought that she was going to do it in that manner. I mean, her friends think she's crazy. Something happened to her. Mm. But she did like the idea of adventure. She didn't know, as I was saying, what 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 is it all about? What 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 does it take? It's not that easy to get yourself into that, you know. Yeah. And yeah. So coming back to to the idea of, of like uh, bike touring, um, she totally hated the bike. 
let's say plainly, she hated the bike. So we had quite a few arguments because I don't see myself going back to anything motorized. For me, it takes away from so much from the experience. I don't want to be shielded from being out there, you know. And I want to feel that I put all all my, you know, that I put in all my energy and that I put in all the work, you know, yeah. to get to and do do it all and uh, non motorized, you know. And we eventually came to the idea of the recumbent tracks as a solution to that problem because we're going to ride. Uh, a few thousand kilometers across Australia and she thought about an electric bike. But how can you charge an electric bike in the middle of the outback? There's no yeah. way. So also, then you immediately it, come... It takes away as well, doesn't it? The electric bike. Where, yeah. you know, the if you've got a little incline... Like, you, you know, people say, oh, I'll get an electric bike and I'll just use it when I need it. But it becomes a thing if you use it out of habit and you probably then use it every single time it's charged. Yeah. So then you're taken away from the, the hard times of the hills, the gravel, and all that sort of stuff. Exactly. That doesn't mean you're not putting in any work, mm. but that means it takes away exactly those big climbs, you know, that, that, that little extra, you know? Yeah. Because even, even, <laughs> even if you have 100% assistance in the outback, going through all those corrugations and staying out in the 40-plus 40, 40 degree sun every day, it's not for everyone, mm. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, and then you immediately come to the to the conclusion that you need two solar panels to charge your battery with. But how do you actually, how can you carry on a normal two-wheel push bike two big solar panels? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can have a trailer, but I wasn't very keen on adding a trailer to the bike. And, you know, it just, the whole design didn't seem like very sturdy, very... Very smart, you know. Mm. And Irina, if I'm more like the adventure guy going for the crazy adventure, you know, um, setting out the goal, she's more about the logistics of it. Okay. She's so good at like finding the right equipment, you know, finding the the logistic solutions for anything from uh, flight tickets to uh, the gear we're gonna use to how we're gonna do it and so on and so forth. So she she really comes in nicely in, into our team with that logistics uh, part. So she was googling and she was like trying to get opinions from different people. Uh, in the industry, how would that work? And she came to the conclusion that the best thing would actually be to buy two recumbent tracks and to get hers converted into an e-solar e track. And the main reason for that is that you can actually feed those two solar panels on top of the actual track without taking any uh, any extra you know, space. Yeah. And that would also be helpful for her because she would be having a shade. Yeah. She would be staying in the shade. She wouldn't be uh staying like I did out in the sun, you know. So it was all it was very it was a very smart decision. Mm. And that's probably the best example that I can give you about teamwork and how we can fit together into this team and do these things together. I'm I'm definitely 100% for non-motorized, crazy, pure. I'm very purist in a lot of things I do. She wants to have that assistance. And, you know, it's about us working together. So if she wants to have that, why not? You know, yeah. I can still go and ride my bike and, you know, do my things without any 
uh, assistance mm. but it's about it's about it's about fitting fitting as a team and you know that means that sometimes you have to listen to your partner and see what she wants and what what's her idea about doing it and how 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 you can work together to you know to find the right solution for both of you yeah you've traveled across all the americas australia new zealand eastern europe western europe what's the most beautiful country that you've been to that took you by surprise it's so hard because it's not about you know every single place it's special in a way Mm. every single one of them the most boring place or what people think that might be the most boring place still lives some sort of a you know good memory about it yeah um or bad memory it could be bad memory <laughs> it doesn't have to be a good one but it still leaves you leaves you with something you know mm. and that again is the difference between traveling on a bike and covering all these miles on a bike or walking or skiing and being in a car or in a train because you feel every kilometer every kilometer is leaves you with something you don't just get from point a to point b you're traveling fully immersed from point a to point b mm. right so a lot of people that don't do bike touring and don't get themselves into adventure cycling don't understand that they, they can't because they didn't have that experience they don't they're not able to take in everything in between point a and point b they usually spend time in point a and time in point b yeah and there's no in between so every single place i've been to has something special of course i have some places that left me with a very deep appreciation and something more you know that would probably be kanaima national park in venezuela um just cycling the Carretera Austral, the uh, Route 7 in Chile, that goes through all these fjords and all these national parks and just beautiful, incredible landscape is another one of my favorites. Australia definitely is top of my list. It's just the places that I've seen here, like the Kimberleys, you know. It's just, and, and, and you know, it's just so remote and it feels so special to get there and feel that energy. On one hand, it's rough, but on the other hand, it's such so different than so different from anything else on the world, you know. Mm. And and yeah, and and of course, New Zealand is in a way easy to appreciate it because it's all scenic, it's all uh, dramatic. Yeah. Australia is not about being dramatic. Australia is about the depth of the place. So just feeling it, just being there. You know, uh, Central Australia is absolutely stunning, absolutely incredible. You know, just uh, pitching your tent there and spending a few nights in Central Australia close to Uluru and close to Alice Springs, it's just magic. It's just a tall silence. And you're surrounded by all these stars and the universe and you're just out there alone. There's no people around you. Such a spiritual place. So remote. It's just special. It's just special. How, how do you feel now, now that you've made it to Melbourne? Very populated city, very mm. dense city. How do you feel now being here, having experienced these places of openness and 
you know, the solitude. Mm. I feel grateful for being here. You know, I once in a while you need to be in a big city. You need to, um, you know, stock up, yeah. <laughs> uh, work a bit of logistics and uh, plan your next move, you know. So you need to be, sometimes you do, you know. I haven't been in many uh, populated areas in those uh, past three years. So it's, it's, it's good to be here, but I know I won't be lasting very long you know? <laughs> <laughs> in a city like Melbourne. So I'll have yeah. to get back out there. And uh, this is where we get to, to Tasmania, which is our next, uh, um, I think it's a logical next step. Yeah. You know, I, I set out to see the whole continent of Australia, which includes uh, Tasmania and New Guinea. Mm-hmm. So my next, our next move is to to actually cross Tasmania um, um, from north to south, or from south to north. I haven't decided yet which way, but across some of the wildest parts, um, in a hike that would be five hundred uh, plus kilometers long, and that would use some designated trails, some marked trails, and some. Uh, wild, like properly wild areas like the Franklin Gordon Lakes area, uh, rivers and area uh, and lakes area, uh, where I'll probably have to paddle uh, bits and pieces of it and then uh, just navigate through valleys and, you know. And it also happen in wintertime, which is a lot more challenging than, uh, than normal. And then eventually New Guinea which I haven't, we haven't made our mind yet what, what our adventure in New Guinea would be like. I would love to do a, a traverse. Mm-hmm. Very challenging, very different to what we've been exposed to so far in Oceania and New Zealand and, and, uh, and Australia. But um, I think it would be magic to have a real adventure in New Guinea. It's one of the, uh, the most different places around the world where colonialism didn't interfere as much as in other parts of the world with uh, the tribal life so it's very 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 uh tribal uh still and um very dangerous as well yeah so i like having these ingredients where you know it's it's wild uh, there's not much information about it you know there is it's challenging i like the challenge in what i'm doing you know mm. Other than actually going in depth and you know looking at at, at other aspects, yeah. Looking back at the you know ten years nearly that you've spent on these long adventures, for anyone who's looking to just take the leap and do their own adventure, no matter how big or small it may be, what three tips would you give to those kinds of people? First step is the most important one: just have the faith that you can do it. Um, have arm yourself with tons of curiosity and be open to be challenged at any time because that's how you get to your goal and this is how um, you can tackle basically any anything that comes to you mm-hmm. it's such because I think it's if I look at it from my perspective uh, where I grew up so a little town very small town mentality I have a friend actually who he's been over here and he's a bit younger than me and I went on my first trip and it was around Europe and then I did one round it was the one where I went around Southeast Asia and he was like how do you just go and do it and I'm like you just 
you just book a ticket, you just go and yeah. you figure it out from there. And then, so I met up with him here when I came over and he was like, that, that bit of advice, like just, it sent me. Yeah. And then now he's been over here for a year and a bit. He's met his partner. He's moving over to her country with her. Like just, he's gone and done it now. And I think for people who, you know, struggle with the idea of just doing, you just, it, like you said, you've got to have faith. You've got yeah. to have faith in yourself that you can A, accomplish it and B, just fucking do it. <laughs> just fucking do it, basically. Yeah, good, yeah. I Look, I had $900 in my pocket when I started a 24,000 kilometer trip. I, it ended up being much longer than that, but I thought it would be nine month, 24,000 kilometer trip across um, both North and South America. And nine hundred dollars is not something that would cover that for sure. So I knew, you know, that was the very little spark that I needed to start it. But it wouldn't be enough for it. Mm. But at the same time, I knew that once you take that leap of faith and you do that first step, you take that first step, um, everything else is just going to be a smooth ride from there. Well, it's not going to be a smooth ride. No, I'm, I would be lying saying that. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but mm. it's just, you know, it's it's very important to take that leap of faith and go for what you really want to do. Yeah. And you figure it out on the way. Mm. You know, if you know that 5, 10, 15%, it's enough, just go for it. Just, you know, that's that's the element that allows you to grow, you know, those challenges that you take, those problem solving skills that you learn on the way you know it's all part of that journey hmm. so it's it you know that's the beauty of it you know if it would all be set out and laid out in front of you you would be you would be as interesting as that hmm. you know? yeah it's the journey it's the journey of course that's yes. and just sort of from there We've spoken about the, you know, the adrenaline of the unknown, but what, what is it that draws you to that life of uncertainty? Um, it's just the the diversity and the, um, again the 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 fact that you're exposed to something new every day. You don't know your your wheel is rolling and you don't know what's awaiting for you around the corner. It's just, it's just something new every day. It's the excitement of living and being exposed every day to something new. Yeah, that's. I mean, I probably couldn't have said it better than that. <laughs> and then I have one final question for you that I ask all my guests, and that's how would you like to be remembered? Well, that's a good one, Andy. <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> I don't know. I. It stumps a lot of people when I ask it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't. <laughs> but probably as a you know as a crazy adventure cyclist that you know uh, left with nine hundred dollars <laughs> and made it across the Americas and made it across the world in, at this in, point. in Australia. Yeah. And, that's it. I mean, I literally left with nine hundred dollars <laughs> in <it>. my pocket. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, just, just let everyone know where they can follow your story, 
they can see all your adventures yeah. and all that sort of uh, stuff. They can follow my Instagram page for sure. That's that's where I post most of my photos and stories and my mm-hmm. Facebook page. And yeah, you have a YouTube channel as well, right? I do. I post it mostly in Romanian. We are uh, now thinking about starting a new series as we'll be heading with our bikes back to Europe um, after Tasmania and New Guinea because that's where we're headed to yeah. eventually. And uh, we plan on starting a, a new series uh, about our adventure. It's going to be in English, so it's going to be on my YouTube channel, which is Radu Paltinanu. Mm-hmm. And um, I also have a friend uh, working at the moment on... Um, a documentary about my journey across the Americas. Yeah. So we got the first round of uh, funding for it, um, and we still need uh, um, actually a big chunk of the budget, but we're very um, positive about um, uh, getting it. So have, hopefully um, my journey across the Americas is going to be one day on uh, up there on Netflix or HBO or in, any other platform. I don't know yet. I don't I. We don't know on which platform it will be, uh, but it's hopefully going to be out there for everyone to to watch it and uh, and uh, enjoy it. And yeah, I keep my fingers crossed for you, mate. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll put all your links in the description. People can go and find you wherever. And yeah, appreciate your time so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much for Cheers. having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Radu Paltinenio. Um I really enjoyed having my first in-person podcast. Really interesting person. Some really great stories, really great mindset. The guy is just, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's an all-rounder, just great guy. Um, so if you want to find Radu and follow him, you can see his links in the description down below. And make sure to follow the podcast as well. Share and like with anyone who may be interested. And yeah, I'll see you next Monday for another episode at 3 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time and 6 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Have a great week, everyone. See you later.